Welcome to Walker of Worlds podcast. I'm Rachel and this is the podcast where we step behind the veil to take a look at some long lost and little known spooky stories and urban legends. If you're a fan of digging through the past and seeing what ghosts it can uncover, please do feel free to subscribe to the channel and turn on all notifications. London is a city with a rich and diverse history that draws visitors from around the world. Some come for the free museums and galleries, others come because London is the place that they've dreamed of visiting and some visit just for the beautiful architecture. Most people use the London Underground to travel around the city. The Underground, also known as the Tube, has, like its host city, a long history. The London Underground started with the Metropolitan Railway. The Metropolitan Railway, also known as the Met, was a passenger and goods railway that served London from 1863 to 1933. Its main line heading northwest from the capital's financial heart in the city to what were to become the Middlesex suburbs. Its first line connected the mainline railway termini at Paddington, Euston and King's Cross to the city. The first section was built beneath the new road using cut and cover between Paddington and King's Cross and in tunnel and cuttings beside Farringdon Road from King's Cross to near Smithfield. It opened to the public on the 10th of January 1863 with gas-lit wooden carriages hauled by steam locomotives, the world's first passenger-carrying designated underground railway. Former Met tracks and stations are still used by the London Underground's Metropolitan Line, the Circle, District, Hammersmith and City, Piccadilly, Jubilee and Victoria Lines and by Chiltern Railways and Great Northern. The Tube has 11 lines and currently serves 272 stations. And because of its age, the Underground has its fair share of ghostly going-ons. The system has, over the years, acquired a number of gruesome stories, including people being hit by trains, workers having accidents, and those tunnelling deep beneath the country's beating heart, succumbing to whatever has happened below ground. Also, when the London Underground was originally built, and to this day is still being extended and worked upon, it burrowed through an enormous amount of land. Along the way, it went through graveyards, churchyards, crypts, burial grounds, and yes, plague pits. Aldgate Station is said to be built directly onto a plague pit and there is so much paranormal activity within the the station that a ghost log is reportedly kept. The Piccadilly line is rumoured to swerve around a plague pit while Elephant and Castle stops just short of one. Crossbones Graveyard on Red Cross Way Southwark is a former medieval burial ground that was the final resting place of prostitutes in the area. These women who lived, worked and died in this once lawless corner of London were buried on the unconsecrated ground and over the years, other people who were denied a Christian burial also found their way into this little piece of London. By the early 1850s, the graveyard was at bursting point, with one commentator writing that it was completely overcharged with dead. Due to health and safety concerns, the graveyard was abandoned and subsequent redevelopment plans, including one to turn it into a fairground, were all fought off by local residents. In 1992, the Museum of London carried out an excavation on Crossbones Graveyard in collaboration with the ongoing construction of the Jubilee Line extension. Out of the 148 graves they excavated, all dating between 1800 and 1853, they found 66.2% of the bodies in the graveyard were aged five years or younger, indicating a very high infant mortality rate, although the sampling strategy used may have over-indexed this age group. It was also reported that the graveyard was extremely overcrowded, with bodies piled on top of each other. 
In terms of the causes of death, these included common diseases of the time, including smallpox, scurvy, rickets and tuberculosis. So it's no wonder that the dead seemed to find their way into the tunnels, ticket halls and turning loops of the London Underground. Are you ready to take a look at some of the Tube's most famous ghosts? In that case, get comfortable and let's begin. British Museum Station is one of the Underground's most famous ghost stations. That is, the station itself is abandoned and no longer used. It was opened in 1900 and was named for the nearby museum. In 1906, nearby Holborn Station was opened less than 100 yards away. This wasn't unusual as planners often put stations close to one another in order to provide better connectivity. These ghost stations are now used for storage or film shoots and often have remnants of their past lives still clinging to the walls. A secret tunnel is alleged to link the British Museum station and the actual museum. Down this tunnel at night, the ghost of an Egyptian woman, a priestess in some accounts, a princess in others, was said to walk. Wearing a magnificent headdress and loincloth, the woman would terrify staff and passengers with the most horrendous screams, sounds that resonated along the tracks and reverberated down corridors. Named Amun-Ra, after the powerful Egyptian god she served, the woman's mummy was said to reside in the British Museum. The ghost's howls of anguish and rage were apparently triggered by the trauma of having her mummy ripped from its resting place and transported far overseas. Known as the unlucky mummy, Armin Ra's corpse became notorious for being cursed and the legend that grew up around it is as follows. Excavated in Luxor in the 1800s, the three and a half thousand year old mummy in its richly decorated casket was purchased by, purchased by the Englishman Thomas Douglas Murray during a visit to Egypt in 1899. Murray packed up his new possession and shipped it to England, but it wasn't long before Armin Ra was making her displeasure of being moved very clear. Murray soon suffered a shooting accident, meaning that his arm had to be amputated, and two of his servants who handled the mummy also died. Murray followed Armin Ra back to England, where the bad luck continued. A journalist borrowed the casket and soon her mother died, her engagement broke up and her dogs went mad. She quickly returned the casket to Murray. Murray, now eager to offload the mummy, gave it to a friend, who suffered a series of misfortunes before dying. Before his death, Murray's friend, probably also keen to ditch the coffin, gave it to his sister who, as well as enduring an inevitable string of bad luck, took the mummy to be photographed. While developing his pictures, the photographer, who of course soon passed away, was horrified to see the face of a living Egyptian woman superimposed on the casket, whose air eyes stared furiously with an expression of anger. When a person who purchased one of those photos brought it into his home, every piece of glass in the house shattered. Murray, alarmed and depressed by this constant stream of calamities, urged his friend's sister to get rid of the mummy. She donated it to the British Museum, which exhibited Armin Ra alongside other Egyptian artefacts. The mummy, however, didn't lose her troublesome reputation. The carrier who delivered her to the museum died, and some visitors who sketched or photographed the mummy also passed away, with one individual reportedly shooting himself. Staff reported sobs and hammering noises coming from the casket, which only diminished but did not stop when they moved the mummy to her own more prestigious display case. Not content with creating disturbances within the museum, Armin Ra also began haunting the nearby London Underground station. Shortly before the station closed, two British newspapers promised a cash reward to anybody brave enough to spend the night alone in the station. No one took up the offer. 
Some say the legend of Armin Ra's haunting was sparked by a film called Bulldog Jack. In this comedy thriller, a secret passageway leads from a tube station to the British Museum, where it emerges in an Egyptian sarcophagus. But rather than the film inspiring the legend, it seems the legend influenced the film. Bulldog Jack wasn't released until 1935, while British Museum Underground Station closed on 25th of September 1933. It's possible, however, that the film helped spread the stories of the station's ghost, and the film itself would be, in an outlandish way, incorporated into Armand Ra's myth. On the night of Bulldog Jack's premiere, two women were said to have vanished while walking through the tunnels of Holborn Station. Screams and moans were heard at the time of their disappearance, as well as at several times during the following days, and sightings were reported of the headdress-wearing priestess. Strange scratch marks appeared on the walls of either the abandoned British Museum station or Holborn station, depending on who was telling the story. The women were never seen again. To this day, it's said that at Holborn station, you can occasionally hear shrieks and wails echoing down the tunnels from British Museum Station. The legend of the haunting of British Museum is likely to have been generated by the publicity surrounding the unlucky mummy, of which there was a lot at the time. But a sober examination of the facts makes the story seem less spectacular. The actual mummy of Armand Ra was probably never even brought to England. What was instead transported and what ended up in the museum was just the mummy case. While the case is likely to have once enclosed the mummy of a high-status person, there's no evidence that it belonged to a priestess or a princess or anyone called Armin Ra. The idea that Armin Ra was a soul in torment most likely come from Murray himself when he, along with his friend the journalist W.T. Stead, noted how sad the face carved on the casket looked. Stead, who liked Murray, was obsessed with spiritualism and the occult, seems to have put the first articles about the mummy into print, articles that other newspapers soon elaborated on, igniting media hysteria and probably helping create the spin-off legend about the underground station's haunting. As for the tale of the women disappearing on the day of Bulldog Jack's premiere, no newspapers around that time make any mention of such an incident. But if you were ever to hear shrieks in Holborn Station late at night, it might be best to hop on the first train you could, without waiting to find, without waiting to find out whether these whales were supernatural. Our next stop is Bank. Bank Station is located in the heart of the financial district and is, according to customer surveys, one of the busiest and most difficult stations to navigate. This is in part due to it being linked to nearby Monument Station as well as the Overground System. It's also one of the oldest stations on the system, having been opened in February 1900. Bank may well be one of the oldest stations, but it's also reported to be one of the most haunted. Legends claim that part of the station was constructed on the site of a plague pit. What we do know is that its Northern Line ticket hall was once the crypt of the adjacent St Mary Woolnoth's Church. Completed in 1727, this beautiful Baroque-style church still stands on the corner of King William Street and Lombard Street. The dead within the crypt, thought to number between seven and 8,000, were cleared out when the station was built in 1900, with some being sent to South London's Nunhead Cemetery. One of the doorways leading down to the ticket hall was the crypt's entrance. In January 1941, tragedies hit the station when it took a direct hit from a German bomb. The station was being used as an air raid shelter and 56 people were killed. Maybe because of the legends, or maybe because of the link to the former crypt, has given rise to a number of spooky stories at Bank Station. 
Staff and commuters alike have reported on having feelings of hopelessness and sadness while travelling through the station. Putrid smells have also been reported floating through the station, which some people believe is a throwback to the plague pit and church, as St Mary's Church was often overcome with disgusting smells from the overcrowded crypt. Interestingly, the London Underground itself doesn't smell too bad, and is often described as having a unique scent all of its own. The notes of this scent are hard to pin down, yet it is oddly warming and comforting to many who pass through the system. The most infamous ghost connected with Bank Underground Station is that of Sarah Whitehead, otherwise known as the Old Lady of Needle Street or the Black Nun. The legend goes that Sarah's brother Philip, a clerk at the nearby Bank of England, was fond of living a luxurious life. Surrounded by wealthy bankers and city traders, Philip didn't see why his modest clerk's salary should prevent him from enjoying a similar lifestyle to his peers, so he borrowed money and got himself into debt. Philip's beloved but naive younger sister Sarah, oblivious to his growing financial problems, eagerly participated in the high life along with him, eating fine foods and drinking quality wines. Philip, however, knew something had to change if they were going to go on with the habits to which they'd become accustomed. Philip had a go at investing in the stock market but merely lost money. He next tried gambling, which made him spiral even to, into even more debt. He was driven into such anxiety that one day he listened to a friend who suggested that he should forge a, a cheque to his workplace. Whitehead did so and managed to steal £87, which is around £3,000 in today's money. Philip was, however, soon found out and sent to the notorious Newgate prison to await trial. Philip sheltered his sensitive sister from all of this by arranging for her to stay with friends who lived just off of Fleet Street. This was so that if he was found guilty, she wouldn't hear the bells tolling as he was led out of Newgate to face his execution. Philip was indeed sentenced to death, though the records of the Old Bailey list him as Paul rather than Philip Whitehead, and he was executed in 1812, aged 36. After Sarah returned home, she quite naturally wondered where her brother was and started going to his former place of employment to inquire after him. She'd ask his fellow clerks, have you seen my brother today? To which they'd reply, not today ma'am, before assuring her he was absent but well. One day, a tactless clerk blurted out all that had happened, informing Sarah that her brother had been rightly executed. This enormous and dreadful shock made Sarah lose her reason. She began dressing in black and unable to process the fact of Philip's death continued to visit the bank every day. She'd still ask the clerks if they'd seen her adored brother, to which the clerks, out of pity, would answer, not today. Sarah would chat with them for a while before saying, Give my love to him when he returns. I will call tomorrow. Some say the authorities at the bank first tried to treat her kindly. She was given food and small sums of money and was sometimes even allowed to make use of a room. But the employees soon became tired of her constant visits. As her mental condition further declined, they began to fear that the unhinged and black-clad woman would become increasingly more aggressive. Some say she turned up at the bank every day until her death 25 years later, while others claim that the daily visits lasted an astonishing 40 years. As the years passed, the figure acquired many nicknames, the Black Nun, the Bank Nun and the Old Lady of Threadneedle Street. The Old Lady of Threadneedle Street is a name for the Bank of England itself, a name it may have acquired from its dark-clothed visitor. Sarah, who was 19 at the time of Philip's execution, is thought to have passed away at some point between 1837 and 1842, making her between 44 and 49 at the time of her death. Shock, grief and her strange lifestyle may have aged her prematurely, though some claim she lived until the age of 60. 
She is said to have been buried very close to the Bank of England, but it seems that even death couldn't break Sarah's habit of haunting her brother's workplace. There have been sightings of Sarah's ghost in and around the Bank of England and also in and around Bank Underground Station. The ghost apparently approaches pedestrians on the street asking if they've seen her. Some of those approach, including groups of American tourists that have never heard her legend. Some sightings have taken place in the Bank of England's internal court garden. In the 1970s, two men saw a woman dressed in black and walking hesitantly along the garden's path before falling to her knees and striking the path stones while shaking her head before vanishing. Interestingly, the church of St Christopher Lee Stocks was demolished to make way for an extension of the Bank of England and the path in the court garden is made up of the church's tombstones. Some say Sarah was buried in the graveyard of Christopher Lee Stocks, but this would be impossible as the church was knocked down in 1782. So if Sarah really was buried close to the bank, she could have been buried in the church of St Mary Walnuth. Some believe she was interred in the very vault which would become the station's ticket office, meaning her corpse was one of those disturbed in the station's construction. This might explain the legends of her ghost being glimpsed within the underground station itself. A commuter in 2001 travelling into Bank is said to have spotted Sarah, but perhaps most spookily a London Underground employee had a strange experience in the deserted station at about 2am. The station was locked up and therefore there should have been no members of the public inside. But checking the CCTV monitors, the employee noticed what appeared to be a little old lady standing in a long corridor close to a sharp turn, known as a dogleg, which then led onto a staircase. The man grabbed a portable radio and went to investigate. He claimed that as he approached the lady, she looked up straight at him, looked down again, turned and started to walk again. He started running down the corridor in order to try and catch her as she walked away. But by the time he got to the dogleg, she disappeared, which he thought strange as he knew that he covered the ground an awful lot quicker than she would have. The man went up and down the staircase, checking it thoroughly, but found both sets of gates were still closed and padlocked, and the woman was nowhere to be seen. He radioed his colleague in the CCTV room and asked him to check the cameras to see where she could have disappeared to. The colleague checked over a 100 cameras, but she was nowhere to be seen. Maybe he encountered Threadneedle Street's Black Nun. Our next stop is just a few stops along the central line and a short walk away. Welcome to Covent Garden Station, a Grade 2 listed station in a picturesque part of London. At Covent Garden Underground Station in 1972, after the departure of the night's final train, a young lift operator had ushered the last passenger from his elevator and was closing the station up. Believing all the passengers had gone, he was surprised to suddenly see a tall man in an old-fashioned waistcoat and top hat standing in the ticket hall. Flustered, the operator apologised for locking the man in the station and turned around to get his keys. When he turned back, however, the man had vanished. Assuming he'd gone down to the platforms, perhaps in the hope of catching a late train, the employee went down to look but couldn't find any sign of the man. The operator later mentioned his strange experience to a colleague who produced an old photograph and asked, did he look like this? That's the spitting image of him, the operator said. Where did you get that from? The colleague told the operator the photo was of the actor William Terrace, who'd been dead for years. The 1972 sighting of Terrace was not the first at Covent Garden. Glimpses of the ghost sometimes seen striding down the tunnels have been reported since the 1950s. In 1955, a young ticket collector, who'd just closed up one cold November night, saw Terrace walking up the emergency staircase. Terrace, wearing an operatic-style cloak and gloves and clutching a cane, had a very, very sad face and sunken cheeks. As in the 1972 incident, the ticket collector told the man the station was closed and asked him to wait while he unlocked the doors. 
but when he returned after opening the gates, the cloaked figure was gone. Four days later, the ticket collector saw the man again, but when he tried to speak to him, the man had vanished. A few days after that, another young employee burst into the station staff room claiming that he'd seen a ghost. The ghost he'd spotted matched Terrace's appearance. For some time in the mid-1950s, Terrace was sighted at Covent Garden quite frequently and even gained a reputation for manifesting in the staff toilets. He spooked some employees so much that they asked to be transferred elsewhere on the underground. Born in 1847, William Terrace was a well-respected Shakespearean actor who was also praised for his comedy and hero roles. Known to fans as Breezy Bill, Terrace often performed at the Adelphi Theatre in London's West End. A dark spot in Terrace's life, however, was the suffering of one of his close friends, a fellow actor called Richard Archer Prince. Having for some time failed to get work, Prince was destitute. Under these tough circumstances, his alcoholism had become more severe and this, combined with his volcanic temper, had gained him the name Mad Archer. Terrace tried to help Prince by giving him money and recommending him for roles, but Prince couldn't overcome his problems and he grew increasingly envious of his happier and more successful friend. On the 16th of December 1897, Prince waited for Terrace outside the Adelphi stage door on Maiden Lane. Prince was concealing a knife and when Terrace arrived for that night's performance, Prince launched a frenzied attack, repeatedly stabbing him in front of both passers-by and Terrace's lover, J.C. Millward. Legend states that as Terrace lay dying in Millward's arms, his last words were, I will be back. Prince was later found guilty of Terrace's murder, but as he was also judged insane, he wasn't executed but instead was sent to the Broadmoor Criminal Lunatic Asylum. He died there in 1936. Terrace seems to have stuck to his final vow. In the 1920s, reports began of his ghost haunting the Adelphi Theatre. In 1928, a young actress was taking a nap in a dressing room prior to a performance. Her bed began to shake and she would wait. She woke to find herself surrounded by a strange green mist. Unseen hands grabbed at her, hands that would leave bruises on her arms. Two mysterious knocks on the door brought the experience to an end. The dressing room had often been used by Terrace's lover, who was also an actress, Jessie Millward, and the door led out onto Maiden Lane. Apparently, when Millward was in the dressing room, Terrace would pass by and knock on the door twice to let her know that he'd arrived. Other performers at the Adelphi claimed to have heard unexplained voices and to have seen the ghost of William Terrace walking around the building dressed in theatrical costume and sometimes brandishing a cane. The last sighting of Terrace at the Delphi was in 1950, when he supposedly manifested in front of several witnesses. From there on in, Terrace seems to have switched to the Covent Garden Underground Station. This might seem a puzzling venue for a ghost who was once an actor, but there was once a bakery on the site that was knocked down to make way for the tube stop. The bakery was frequented by Terrace. The 1972 sighting of Terrace at Covent Garden is the last reported occasion of anyone seeing his ghost. Some have speculated that the spook may have disappeared thanks to the station becoming busier as Covent Garden morphed from an area of markets into a popular district for entertainment and nightlife. Others believe it's because people have simply forgotten about Terrace, or perhaps the ghost just became tired of his hauntings and concluded that it was finally time for his final curtain call. Speaking of final curtain calls, the final stop on our whistle-stop tour of haunted London underground stations is Bethnal Green. Located at the crossroads of Cambridge Heath Road and Roman Road, Bethnal Green Station was, like many underground stations, used as an air raid shelter during World War II. When the sirens began to moan, the residents of the poor, overpopulated East End district would make their way down the station stairs to sometimes spend whole nights shielded from the bombs falling above. The station housed an incredible 5,000 bunks and would host up to 7,000 people. 
On the 3rd of March 1943, death struck Bethnal Green, but not as a direct result of a German bomb. The sirens had sounded and hundreds of people were pouring into the underground station, mainly the elderly women and children as most younger men were away fighting. A woman carrying a baby in a bundle of bedding stumbled and fell on the crowded, blacked-out staircase. A woman and child fell over her, knocking yet more people down as they fell, and soon the whole staircase was a scene of people tripping and tumbling on top of each other, with some become trapped, becoming trapped in a tangled heap of bodies. Panic spread and people's frantic struggles to get off the staircase made things even worse. Nearly 300 people are thought to have fallen. 173 died from being crushed or asphyxiated and 60 others were taken to hospital. The government, fearing news of the disaster would be bad for morale, didn't report the catastrophe for 36 hours, leading to accusations of a cover-up. When the incident was reported, it was announced that the deaths had resulted from a direct hit by a bomb and a memorial plaque wasn't put up until 50 years later. No other incident during World War II resulted in a greater loss of British civilian life. The disaster also saw the largest number of deaths caused by any incident on the London Underground. Of those who perished, only 27 were men. The rest were women and children. Unsurprisingly, this traumatic event has led many to believe Bethnal Green Underground Station is haunted. People have reported hearing the sounds of children crying and women screaming, especially at night. In 1981, an employee was working the night shift alone at Bethnal Green. After all the passengers had left, he locked up the station and went to an office to do some paperwork. It was there that he began hearing children crying. At first, he ignored the sound, but it got louder and louder, and he was soon augmented by what seemed to be women's screams and people panicking. The noise went on for 10 to 15 minutes. Deeply alarmed, the employee ventured out of the ticket hall where he could see no one. The man said, I was frightened to go back into the office because of the noise down there. It was quite frightening. I still don't want to go through Bethnal Green to this day. I can't forget that noise. And this is where your train terminates. The London Underground possibly has hundreds of ghosts wandering its tunnels, stations and platforms. We've only met a few of them, so maybe we'll buy another ticket to ride at some point in the future and discover who else lives in this subterranean city beneath London. Until then... Please do mind the gap as you exit the train. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please do consider subscribing and finding us on social media. We're on Facebook and Instagram at Walker of Worlds Podcast. We'd love for you to join the conversation. If you'd like something a little different to read, please do check out the website at www.roswellpublishing.co.uk. And until next time, stay spooky. 